And uh, we want to welcome, how many of you guys are dads by a show of hands here? How many fathers do we have? Good, we've got a lot of you, we're blessed. Um, there's a lot of places, like I said, you could be on, on Father's Day and maybe uh, you wished that you were somewhere else, but you're here. And uh, we are blessed that you're here today. I know some of uh, my family members, we had to celebrate uh, uh, Father's Day last night because everybody was heading to the beach for a couple weeks. So um, it's vacation time and usually Father's Day falls in that. I titled this morning's message, it's in Luke's Gospel chapter 15. If you uh, have a Bible handy, I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke uh, chapter 15. It's a story that we're very familiar with, uh, the story of the prodigal son. And uh, I, I titled the message, A Reason to Celebrate, because really in the truest sense, for us who are in Christ Jesus, every day is Father's Day, amen? And uh, we have a heavenly father, as Larry was talking about in worship. You know, we've all had different relationships with our earthly father. Uh, some were good, some not so good. Uh, many of us are fathers ourselves in our relationships. We could say some are good, some not so good. And yet uh, we have a model. Uh, we have a, a perfect model that we get to look at in scripture and the one that we can ascribe to for ourselves to learn from. So if you've said, you know, gosh, I never really had a close relationship with my dad. I don't really have a model to follow. That's not true because the Bible lays out for us a beautiful picture of our heavenly father. But then I was thinking about, you know, going into today, you know, of all the things that I could share with you as, as a dad, being a father of three myself, grown kids, kids and, and uh, we've got three grandchildren and uh, one on the way uh, Wednesday. We'll have our fourth, uh, God willing, and uh, we are extremely excited about that. I won't be here Wednesday nor next Sunday. Tink will be teaching on Wednesday and John Jones will be teaching on Sunday. So that's a good reason to teach, uh, or excuse me, to be here. And it's even better reason to invite uh, your unchurched and unsaved friends. The people that you wouldn't bring when I'm teaching, bring when these guys are teaching, okay? That would be an awesome opportunity. And I know that uh, you'll be blessed. And I know that uh, if you invite any of your friends, uh, they will be blessed as well. But uh, as, as I looked at this, I thought, you know, what are the things that I can share and it was something that was, it was really kind of interesting because the, I know when I was the youth pastor, our senior pastor used to always take Father's Day off and Mother's Day off. And so I always got to teach those uh, and I looked forward to them each and every year. And I remember the first year that I ever taught uh, from the pulpit in the sanctuary as a, as a youth pastor was Father's Day. And I was so excited about it and I, man, I, I was studying and I, and I pulled out my dictionary for some reason. And I looked in the dictionary, I wanted to look up, you know, father, what, what's the definition for father? And, and, you know, every definition, you know, kind of different, but, you know, obviously there's the, you know, general that he, the father is a man who has uh, acted in participation in the birth of a child into this world. So it was blah, 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 you know, it's like, okay, we get that. And so I was getting ready to, that day, you know, it was a, obviously a, a book a dictionary. And so I was getting ready to close it, but I noticed real quick, it just caught my eye, father, and I looked above it and the word above father was fathead. And then I looked below it and the word was fatigue. And I thought, there's the message that God is wanting me to teach, that fatherhood falls somewhere between a fathead and fatigue. And and, and it really hasn't changed after all these years. For most of us dads, a lot of the time being a dad, we feel like a fathead. And, and we're doing the best that we can. And, and, and as you try to be a father to your kids, it wears you out and you understand, you know, fatigue. But what really uh, gave birth to the, the message today 
as I was praying about, Lord, what is it that you want me to share? Because obviously we were teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, and I could have just stayed, you know, in that. But uh, breaking from that, um, the Lord just brought to mind, it was really interesting, he brought to mind a Christmas card of all the things. That's when you know it's God, because God usually goes in a direction that I'm not going. So it gets my attention, and I'll, I'll stop, and I'll think about that. And as I looked at the you know, the card that the Lord quickened to my mind was one I received years ago. And I thought, okay, and I read it. And then it was from reading that where the message then became clear what the Lord wanted me to share today. And on the front of this card, this Christmas card, it said this, it said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. Now I want you to think about this in light of Father's Day. He says, if our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been humor, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, then you'd open up the card, said God sent us a savior. He sent us his son. And, and so I was reading that and I was thinking, Lord, why, why that, that card? What is it about that card? And thinking about the greatest need that we have as human beings, whether you are a man or you're a woman, whether you're young or whether you're old and here today, is the need for forgiveness. And I thought about that, you know, with regard to being a father. And then here's Jesus. Remember, you know, we're in the Gospel of Matthews, you know, normally on Sundays. And here's Jesus. He's teaching. We're now at the section known as the parables uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And remember, in a parable, when Jesus spoke it, he spoke it for those that wanted to learn the message, they would get it. And those that didn't really care about the message, those that didn't care about Jesus, they wouldn't get it. He said that they would have eyes to see, but they wouldn't see. They would have ears to hear, but they wouldn't hear. They'd get it backwards. They would see it completely opposite as it was meant to be. And so as I thought about this, you go, wow, the story of the prodigal son is another parable that Jesus is sharing. And it's a story that people that want to get it, that their hearts are set on the things of God, that as we shared last week, that fertile soil, you'll get it. If your heart's hardened as the Pharisees were, and that's what he was dealing with there, this religious group that, that was against him in every way, shape, and form, they're not going to get it. And so it reminded me, you know, John chapter 8, verse 28, and I'll read this and then we'll pray. It says, then Jesus said to them, it says, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father has taught me, I speak these things. Think of a great passage for Father's Day. Here's a son. What greater honor could you pay to your father than to say, dad, you know, all, all that I do is what I see you doing. The things that I speak are things that you, you've shared with me to speak. The things that I do are things that I've watched you do. I want my life to be a reflection of yours. You know, imitation, you know, they say is the greatest form of flattery. The son wasn't trying to flatter the father. It was a way of demonstrating honor for who he is. And so uh, I'll invite you, if you would, let's just stand to our feet here this morning. I'll give you a little opportunity to stretch here and uh, as well and just stand in awe of the Lord this morning. And be appreciative of the fact that we have a heavenly father, regardless of, of how you think of yourself today as a father, or maybe, you know, you're here today and your father's not around or never been around, 
Um, we have a heavenly father. We have a father that loves us so very, very much. And that's the picture that uh, I want to paint for you this morning is here's Jesus getting ready to tell us a story. He's going, you know, you Pharisees, you religious guys, you guys that, you know, you've memorized the first five books of the Bible who think you know everything spiritually. You're critical every time somebody teaches. I mean, you sit there and look for what you can find wrong. You have that legalist kind of heart or mentality. He's going, you know nothing about my dad. That's what he's saying. You know nothing about my father, but let me tell you a story. And I want to tell you that story today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. And I thank you again for every father here. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would bless them today, that, Lord, they would know that they are loved today, that they would be appreciated, Lord, by their children, by their family, by their friends, Lord. Lord, regardless of the job that we've done as a, a, as a parent, um, Lord, we can always, always, that's the beauty of repentance. It's the, the beauty of uh, being able to come to you and, and learn a better way to apply those things in our life and to see the fruit that comes from that. And Lord, even if we can't do it with our own children, one of the great blessings is the, in the body of Christ. And I get to see it with so many men here that they get to live it out in the lives of other children. Some children who have no earthly father. Children that have a wonderful relationship with their father. All kinds of kids, Lord, that are on this campus that need the model, that need the love, need the acceptance, need the forgiveness. All the things that you offer, God, we have the opportunity to provide for others. And so, Lord, thank you that you're the God, not just to the second chance, but the third, the fourth. Whatever we would need, Lord, thank you that you provide. And, Father, I pray for those dads today that, Lord... Uh, are just doing well, that are doing wonderful in their, their walk and their journey with you. I pray that today, Lord, they would experience uh, the honor that's due, the honor of, of those men that are here, those that are even, that are with us today, but Lord, who love you and enjoy sweet fellowship with you, may you continue to bless them and hold them up and provide everything that they have need of. And for the young men that are here today, Lord, I pray that they would have a heart, Lord, if they have a desire to become fathers themselves, is to be a reflection of, of Christ, as the Apostle Paul would say, uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, that they would continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord, knowing that the best things that we could desire in this life come from your hand, not from our own. And for each and every one, male or female here, that all of us would know that we have a wonderful Father who's in heaven who loves us with an everlasting love. And may that love come through today as we study your word. And thank you, Lord, that today we get to celebrate not just our earthly fathers, but more important, that we get to celebrate you today, our heavenly father, who's loved us and cared for us, who gave his very life for us, that we might know eternal life. And we are so grateful, heavenly father. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. We bless you, and we look forward to all that you would show us today as we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, and we all agreed saying amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the, the story of the, the prodigal son here, there's obviously two sons in the story. Um, it's really interesting, you know, the older brother, you know, when you study this out in the stanzas, 
uh, and the way that it was taught in scripture for, you know, a Jewish child to memorize it, uh, there's usually eight stanzas. There would be, it would be a balance and there's only seven in this, in this particular teaching. And so it's really interesting as to what it communicates at the end about the older brother. And uh, one we'll get into in another day. But I think, you know, as we look at this today, you know, I could title this message, you know, the forgiving father. It's not so much about the son. It really is about our heavenly father. It really is about the father here. And it's, and it's one of the things that I love in this story that all three stories, when you look at the, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, is they deal with joy, the joy of the father. I don't, I don't know if, if, you know, people in your life, if they went, you know, I, if I had to define the characteristics of my dad, would they say, you know, my dad has a lot of joy, not happiness that, you know, moves like a ping pong ball, but joy. Because here the heavenly father, you know, he is filled with joy every time that a sinner repents, every time something that was lost is found. And so again, think through this as I'm sharing this today. I'm, we're talking both about our heavenly father and the characteristics of our earthly fathers as well. Rejoicing over those things that are lost and celebrating when that thing that was lost is found. And then even a greater celebration. You know, there's a continual celebration in heaven that goes on each and every moment in time. Because the Bible says there's a, there's a rejoicing in heaven. The angels of heaven rejoices over what? One sinner. Not, not 500, not 1,000, not of 12 come, but just one single sinner who repents. And that is continually going on. The kingdom is being added to one by one. There's great joy in heaven. And you think about as this story unfolds here, you know, obviously sheep had great value because they gave wool. There, there was a value to them. The woman who lost the coin, lost a portion of her family fortune. And so when she found it, there was great rejoicing. And then there was a son who was lost. Matter of fact, really in scripture, what it infers is that he was dead. He, he, he had said to his father, I wish that you were dead. There was a death when the son left. Literally, they would have had a funeral for him. And he, the son that was dead had come back to life. And so all these stories really reflect the joy over, that God has over something that was lost. And then the subsequent party that takes place over one sinner who repents. And so, like I said, heaven is just a nonstop celebration here. You know, understand this, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That, that is not his heart. That will never be his heart. You know, I, I know and I've sat with people myself, and it's one of the, the saddest commentaries that a, that a person can make towards another person. When you say, you know, hey, I just gave you enough rope so that you could hang yourself. Because what you're saying is, you know, I wanted to see you fail. Uh, you know, you did it to yourself, but, you know, I was going to stand by and watch and that is so contrary to the heart of our Heavenly Father. And it's one that, like I said, I hope comes out as you look through this story here today. Luke 15, you know, to really understand it, to kind of set the, the tone for it, you know, again, you've got to go back to the very beginning of it. So you have to look at verses 1 and 2 before we jump to verse 11 there. In verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. So Jesus, at this point, we know, if you've been with us in Matthew's gospel, he's been teaching what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? He wants them to know that, you know, the promised Messiah, the one that they've been looking for, that all the Old Testament prophesied about, is standing right in their midst. And, and, it, and it says that the tax collectors 
It says, and the sinners grew near, drew near to him. Now, the tax collector obviously was the most hated of all the Jewish professions because he was actually a product of Rome. He, he had purchased, you know, this ability to uh, take and collect taxes for Rome. And so nobody really likes a tax collector, but you especially don't like one when they're, it's your next door neighbor who's then, you know, taking taxes from you and then adding taxes on top of those taxes so that the, they can have livelihood themselves and then pay a portion of that back to Rome. At the time, and it's important that you understand this, at the time of Jesus, I mean, Rome ruled the world from England to India. I mean, that's an extremely large portion of land. You know, it's not like today. So if somebody was, you know, we see, you know, things that are going on in the Middle East and, you know, we get on the, on the horn and we let our Navy know and then immediately they're what? They're on a boat, they're on their way or there's airplanes that can be there. You know, if we send a missile, how long would it take a missile to get from the United States to pretty much any part of the world? just a matter of minutes, right? Well, in Jesus' day and age, it would have taken years. And so they broke up the providences there and they put people over, you know, in control. And uh, part of taxation, you know, was part of keeping control of the people here. And uh, when, you know, it wasn't anything for Rome to come through and, and when they would sack a city uh, to not just, you know, plunder the goods, but to kill the people. I mean, to send a message, you know, to think that, you know, they used to take, you know, people and literally tie them on poles dipped in pitch and light them on fire and light the roads, you know, into the major cities, you know, that ultimately became Christians that they did that with. But for a long time, uh, it wasn't just Christians. It was pretty much anybody. I mean, they didn't care. They were barbaric. It was men, women, and children. I mean, they were, they were barbaric. And so this mindset, and you need to understand it, you know, when you think about a tax collector, because, you know, we can sing songs about, you know, uh, I want to see Zacchaeus. You go, uh, you know, you, there's all different things. You can think of tax collectors that you might know, and you go, they're really not that bad of a guy. When you talked about a tax collector in Jesus' day, man, you were talking about the scum of the earth. You were talking about someone who was lower than low. And so here, these people, the Bible says, you know, again, are coming to Jesus and they're listening to him. And the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of that day, the Sadducees, the scribes, they're incensed. So you have to understand they created a class. You know, we call them sinners. Sinners actually was a class of people. When you said someone was a sinner, then we know that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but sinner also represented a particular group of people that you despised, okay? And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they despised the, this group of people. That would have included prostitutes. That would have been tax collectors, you know, that, you know, murders got, you know, put to death. But you think of any high crime that could have been committed. I mean, you were lumped into that kind of a, that group there. And so there were taxation that took place. I mean, you think about all the things. There was a temple tax that they placed upon the Jews on top of their own tax. Uh, they used to tax their, if they had a cart, you know, if you had two wheels on your cart, you paid an X amount of tax. If you had four wheels, you, you paid, they charged you per wheel, you know, kind of like what we do today. You know, bigger the vehicle is, more you pay, you know, in the taxes. You know, there was, you name anything that you wanted, there was a tax that was, that was based upon it. 
And, it, and again, it was one of these things that, like I said, it just drew people to a place where they wanted nothing to do with sinners. Matter of fact, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you were classified as a sinner, that was because they were anti-evangelical. They looked for ways not to evangelize you. They looked for ways not to have to share the gospel with you. And so they classified you as a sinner. And that way, it categorized you as a person they did not need to associate with. And times really haven't changed because we do the same thing today to people. We put people in boxes, you know, we label them and whether we'll associate with them or not associate with them because nothing's changed since the time of Christ other than technology. The heart of man, I tell you all the time, has is, is not changed. It's still as wicked as it ever was. It says in verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And as I've shared with you, and I remember, gosh, it was years ago, you know, Randy had, had shared this with me I think it was in a book that he had given me, but it was talking about the fellowship that exists in the Middle East culture, that for a person to invite someone into their home was an act of fellowship. And when they broke bread, as I shared with you, I mean, there was this mystery, this mystic aspect of it that when you broke the bread, and you think about this even in, with regard to communion, you broke the bread and they took a piece of that same one loaf, right? They ate of it and you ate of it. And then you drank of the same cup you shared of one cup, you know, wouldn't that be cool today? Have people over at your house, just get one cup out. You wouldn't have to clean as much. You go, hi, I'd try it sometime and just see how people respond to it. Just don't wash your hands, just get the bread and break it and then take one cup and then, you know, go like this. <coughs> Got a little cool. And then take it and then pass, pass the cup and see, see what happens there. But that was why it was important because they saw this oneness that would take place when you broke bread and you drank the cup that you were ingesting this and you were all participating in this one thing. So they were very careful because if you invited someone into your home as a Jewish person, what you were saying is, I desire friendship with you. It meant a lot. You know, it means, meant a lot more then probably than even what it means today. And so the Pharisees and the scribes there, they're grumbling. And remember, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, they, they believe that Jesus did the works that he did by the power of hell, right? By the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. So anything that Jesus did, because you would think that, you know, remember, and they set out to kill him, okay, that was in their heart. They want him dead. I mean, you go back and look at all the miracles. You go, what miracles did he do? He raised people from the dead. He healed people with issues of blood, people that were lame, people that were blind. I mean, you go, that's not the guy that you want to kill. But they were incensed towards him. They believed, actually, that they were like the older brother in this story. They had a higher idea of themselves. And you know what? There's so many of us that that's how we live our life. We wouldn't want to admit it, but we classify people. We see ourselves better than some, not as good as others, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, we find our kind of our comfort zone, you might say, you know, in society. And so the Pharisees there, I mean, they were, like I said, the elitist of Jesus' day. The, the scribes were the lawyers. They were the ones that, you know, studied the word, made sure that it was translated properly. The Pharisees, you know, they sought to adhere to the law. And when they felt the law was weak, what did they do? They added something to the law to make it stronger, to make it more difficult. And like I said, you know, it, and none of us would question that here. Because Jesus said this, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, and by no means will you enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody was looking around going, how are we going to get in? They're like way up here. They're like the Harvard graduates, you know. 
And, and here, who are we? We're just common people. So how are we going to be saved? And yet when you look at this here, they took the time to memorize, you know, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And you go, man, they, Genesis, Exodus, you know, Leviticus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they have put these books, you know, to heart. They knew it inside out. And yet Jesus is standing in front of them. He's going, you know what? You've got this tremendous zeal. You seek after knowledge. He says, but I'm standing right in front of you and you don't even know who I am. You know nothing about me and you definitely don't know anything about my father. And so then he proceeds to tell them about his father. He says in verse 11 then, he says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And he's talking about his father, our heavenly father here. He says, and a younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. I mean, this was scandalous. I mean, to think of what the son did, this was shameful. I mean, if you study Eastern culture, I mean, two thirds of the inheritance went to the older brother and a third went to the, to the younger brother there. So he's got two sons. And, and definitely this is a violation of family culture here. I mean, he, he's dishonoring his family. He's dishonoring his father. I mean, at the, I mean, the Pharisees are hearing this and right away they're going, what he should have done, what that father should have done was slapped his son across the face. And then what he should have done is he should have taken him out and he should have flogged him. He should have had him flogged publicly is to be an example before the elders, before the community, that here was a son who had disgraced his family. But what does the father do here? Now, remember, Jesus is telling the story here. And we have a father who abandons his own honor. I mean, you think about, you know, the pride that we can have as men. And here, here is a father that abandons his own honor. And he takes on the shame of his son. And you can see, those of you that have ears to hear and eyes to see, you know then where the story is going. But for the Pharisees and the scribes that were there that day, they're going, I, you know, they're, they're becoming incensed at this father. They're going, he's weak. Look at him, you know, to, to, to show grace, to show mercy, you know, to someone was weak. And, and for some, it's still weak today because they want justice, not mercy. And yet it's God himself who tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, we love forgiveness when it applies to us. We, want, we love judgment or, you know, justice when it applies to other people. And so... You think about in this story as well. Where's the older brother? It's kind of like going back to the Garden of Eden, you know. Where's Adam? Where's the older brother in this story? Why isn't he standing up for his father? Why isn't he stepping in for his younger brother? He has a responsibility to care for the younger brother. But he doesn't here. There's sin all the way around. The Pharisees would be hearing this and just going, this, you know, where's this story going? It says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So he leaves Israel. He leaves the land flowing with milk and honey because he's heard from other people, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that you know what? Life is better out there. Many a Christian youth has heard that same lie. Ah, you know what? <laughs> Your parents don't know. You know, man, you know, the Bible says, if the foundation is destroyed, what will the righteous do? And we're, we're finding in our country that those that don't have a relationship with God love the way that things are now because they've been built on a foundation that our founding fathers based upon a relationship with God. 
And they're thinking that there's a way that they can destroy the foundation of God and somehow move the building and still maintain the quality of life. And it's impossible. It would be like trying to take, these are concrete tilt-up buildings, by the way. What if you tried to take this, these concrete walls, separate them from the foundation, and just move them somewhere across the quad? What do you think the chances of that happening would be? None. They would, you know, let the walls fall down. We'd be singing because they, they would just collapse. And that's exactly what would take place. And so he's, he's leaving Israel and he's going out into this Gentile, this pagan, idolatrous, you know, country. And he says he's going to waste his money. You know, prodigal means wasted. He's going to waste his money, this inheritance on, on prodigal living, on loose living. There, there's nothing, you know, more extreme in this. You think about, you know, what's portrayed here. I mean, Jesus is, is, is the one laying out the story here. And you think about the, the type of rebellion that Jesus is talking about against God here. Because he's talking about his father. That, that's the, the story, you know, parable, you know, parabole. Para alongside bole is to cast. And so he's casting this story along a greater truth that he wants us to understand. This is the type of, of sinner who, who slanders, who, who squanders everything and then does what? Ultimately is the one who comes to Jesus. He's the unclean lowlife, you might say, that ultimately turns then to God. Verse 14 goes on, it says, but when he had spent all there aroused a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. So we have this reckless sinner who's living in rebellion to God and to his father. He is living in pure, sinful, selfish indulgence. He, you know, have you ever heard that expression, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it? You ever heard that? Yeah. That, that's what he's prayed. He's, he's got what he's wanted here. And what is he doing? He's doing what many of us have done. He's seeking fulfillment outside the will of God. And you know what happens each and every time that we seek fulfillment outside the will of God? You go away hungry. The same way that this prodigal goes away hungry. And then here's what's interesting as this story unfolds. What does God do with the rebel here? How does God treat the, the worst? See, this is considered the worst of the worst. This isn't just your normal sinner. This is the worst of the worst. This is the scraping of the, the bottom of the barrel. What will he do to those of us, again, who aren't quite so bad. See, so you, you read that story and you go, well, I'm not the worst of the worst. And there's something in that, that you go, okay, if I'm not, you go, what, what's his heart towards me? His heart is the same towards me as it is towards the son here. He says, then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. He couldn't eat the pods because he couldn't digest them. The pigs could, but humans can't. And so the scribes at this point, so they've heard this story. So you go back to it for a second, you think, now what, what are the scribes hearing? You know, what are the Pharisees hearing? They're, they're, they're thinking this, they're going, oh, this is good. This is really good. We love this story because this is what happens to somebody who turns against God. God gets them. God gives it to them. They're getting exactly what they deserve. That, that's, that's their thinking, you know. 
And you go, what happens? See, what does God do? God in his grace, he allows, he allows us to wear ourselves out, you might say. We get to that place where, you know, you've had to have it your way and God's going, okay, you can, you can have it your way. You know, we can hear this. Oftentimes, you know, I share this with you, you know, you'll hear a, a Bible study and your immediate response is you go, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this today. Not realizing that, you know, what God is wanting is for me to hear it. It's not somebody else. Oh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to somebody else. But God's trying to get through to us. God's trying to get through to me. What he's telling us here is this is what happens. You know, this is what happens when you read the story of the prodigal son here. This is what happens when God turns a man over to the futility of his mind. See, this prodigal son, he wanted his way, and so he ends up getting his way. And when he gets his way, it doesn't provide what he thought that it would provide for him. Do you ever find that out with sin in your life? The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a moment, but it doesn't provide long-term. You know, the ways of sin seem right to a man, but its end brings forth 100% of the time death. It's a dead-end road. Romans 1.21 says, because they all, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. This is a great picture of the this, this son here. It says, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And yet, in the midst of that, you have to see the heart, the heart of the father. You know, in Romans chapter eight, it says, for the creation was subjected to futility. In Romans eight twenty, it says, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Do you realize, church, that sometimes God gives in to our selfish desires and he does it in hope that what will come to is the same way that some of you as parents have done that. I know some of the stories and some of them are hard stories with your own kids where you've had to demonstrate, you know, tough love. And you, like Romans 8, 20, it says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It's like, this wasn't your desire for your kids. You didn't do it willingly. It says, but because of him who subjected it in hope, you were hoping, you know, that they would learn the lesson and that they would turn and that they would repent and they would come back home. See, love has to allow the choice, and our Heavenly Father allowed that choice. Jesus is sharing, again, this story about his Father. Our hope, as the Father's hope was, is that you'll find out that, you know, sin hasn't satisfied. You know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but only it's a very, very slight moment. See, one of the, the major lies, church of the enemy, that he tells each and every one of us is to be happy in this life that you need to have more than what you have. That, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That, you know, if I just had a little bit more, that would make me happy. And that's kind of what got into the heart of the younger son here. But see, here's, here's what it sounds like when, when a person is experiencing godly sorrow that leads to repentance. See, there's no sugarcoating of the sin that took place. Look at verse 17 there. He says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? See, the, that lie, that more will make you happy, it comes unraveled here in his life. The son is basically, he's dying. He's dying of starvation here. 
And what you do in moments like that, you know, when you come to your senses, you don't compare yourself to other people. You don't start going, well, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Maybe I'm not as good. You see it for how it really is. You see that even slaves are better off in you than being in bondage that you find yourself in. Verse 18 goes on, it says, I will arise, the son says, and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Like I said, it's not enough to say I have sinned because true repentance isn't about tears, it's about a change of life. It's, it's at the point that where the sinner, like the prodigal, changes directions and he says, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to head towards the father. He sees it right. He, what I love about this, and I hope you don't miss this, he realizes first and foremost that he sinned against his heavenly father. See, we sin secondly against people. All of our sin is through people, but our sin actually is a sin against God. You don't really, in the truest sense, sin against other people. You sin through them. David recognized that in Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned. But he had committed, you know, adultery, he'd committed murder, but he recognized that every sin is truly a sin against God. And what would be different in our lives if all of us recognize that, that my sin and your sin is directly connected to our relationship with God. Man, what a difference. Because we lose sight. Of, oh, it's just so-and-so, you know. And then we sin against certain people and we think, oh, but they deserved it. Like that, may, that justifies our sin. It just shows how dark the human heart can be. And so he recognizes that. And then he recognizes that he sinned against his father. Yeah, even his own dad. He had torn his clothes. Now, that's what it was in Jewish culture to signify the deaths of someone. He tore his clothes. He said, you are dead to me, dad. You are dead. Because that's what he's asking for. Usually you get an inheritance win. Now, and there are parts in culture where they give the inheritance beforehand. I, I know, you know, in my own life, my, my parents sat with us as, as kids. And they'd go, you know what? We've got two choices to make here. We can just keep putting money away. And when we die, you guys can, you know, divide it and it's yours, or we can help you along the way. You know, you probably want to buy a car at some point, you know, maybe put a down payment on the house. And, you know, we, we, if you're asking us as mom and dad, we'd prefer to help you with those things and be able to celebrate with you and participate with you. And that's kind of how my parents did it. You know, other parents, they go, no, you know what? Life's going to be as hard as it's going to be. But man, when you turn 70, you're going to inherit, you know, a gold mine. And you're going to enjoy it for about six months. And then you're going to die and leave it to your grandkids. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all the approach. You know, the Bible just says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You leave something. You know, it could be, and again, it's not necessarily material value, but you leave something. There's a legacy there. And there but what I love about this, the only way that this broken relationship can be fixed is it needs a resurrection. See, because when the son, when he left, there was, they went through the death process. There was the tearing of the clothes. There was the, you know, this is the son of ours. He's dead. He's dead to our family. He chose, this was really, it was suicide. This was self-murder that he removed himself from the family. But look at the beauty of this picture here. I mean, here's a father, a father in a sense himself who's died. Because remember, he says, you're dead to me. The father is, is going to have to come back to life here. But see, the resurrection is no difficult thing for our heavenly father. Not at all. But what I love most about this story 
And this is the thing I want to encourage you dads with today. Regardless of how your kids respond to your love, you know, be consistent in your love towards them. Be consistent in the way that you model a faith that's real. Because, see, even though the son, you know, I mean, basically he said, Dad, I hate you. I, I hate, you know, to your face. I wish that you were dead. I mean, you, you can't say worse things than that to a parent. And there's no greater hurt or pain that a parent would endure than to hear those things from your child. And yet, when the child got to the furthest point away, and he had wasted it all on prodigal living, and it says he came to his senses, what did he remember? He remembered that his dad was gracious. He remembered that his dad was loving. He remembered that his father was compassionate. He knew that his father was good. And that was the foundation. And I think that's why the Lord brought this to mind this week you know, for me to think about my own life, you know, as a dad. Is that no matter what, you know, that I would leave the light on. You know, a lot of times, you know, people when they're, when they're awake, right, customary, you'd leave the light on, your porch light on. And when you went to bed, you would turn it off, right? And that meant, you know, if your neighbors wanted something, that meant, oh, the porch light's off. That means don't come over. Now that doesn't mean anything, right? Got your ring doorbell. You get down in there. Hey, (laughs) you know, needs you to get up you know, need, need something. But the son knew, the son knew this about his father. And we need to remember, all of us need to remember today on this father's day because of our father in heaven. Don't ever forget this, that the kindness of God is what led you and I to repentance. Amen. It was knowing that our heavenly father was good. It was knowing that our heavenly father was compassionate. It was knowing that our heavenly father was merciful knowing that our Heavenly Father was gracious, knowing that our Heavenly Father was kind, that we decided to head home. It wasn't the wrath of God that brought us to Jesus. It was the cross. It was that he bore the wrath for us. No greater love is any man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what we see here in this story. Verse 19 goes on, it says, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son is doing what we, we, all, we all do when we know we've sinned. You ever rehearse your response? Kind of walk through it. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I know I blew it. Uh, uh, you know, hi, honey. Um, you know what I did? Uh, 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 uh. Let me see, if I say it that way, then she'll say, no, so I got to say it like, you know, and what do we try to do? We try to lessen the blow, right, as much as possible, and that's what he's doing. He's rehearsing the confession here. And who's listening? Remember, he's telling this story to who? There's Pharisees there, there's Sadducees, and there's sinners. The sinners are listening, remember? They're the ones who are getting it. They're listening in on this. I mean, they, they know what it's like to rehearse a, a confession a million times, and they're listening. And they're going, you know, what does penance look like? What is it? What is, what is okay, here it comes. What, what does it really look like? I mean, what do we need to do to, to pay it back and, you know, to make it right? What, what's the price to be reconciled here? And it's important that we get this because all of us have different things with regard to reconciliation. But it's important that you get God's picture of what reconciliation looks like, not so much ours, you know, because it's different for us. So the sinners here that Jesus is, is speaking to here that are in the crowd, they're, they're, they're way in the future. 
They're thinking, how long will it take me, you know, to make it right? I mean, how am I going to earn my way back? Because that's what people think that they have to do. Matter of fact, that's what a lot of people make other people have to do in order to get back into relationship. And that's called legalism. That's not what God does. See, he does something that's totally to them is scandalous. He offers them grace. So at this point, like I said, the Pharisees, they're they're loving the sermon. I mean, they're so excited because they want a pound of flesh. And you know what? There's some of us here today. That's what you want. And it's so sad. You want a pound of flesh. You want the very thing that you don't desire for yourself, which would take us to Matthew 18. That would be a whole other story, you know, about having a debt that you can't pay and, and, you know, being forgiven of that debt and then go out and choking somebody else out because they owe you, you know, a hundred bucks when you owed a million dollars. And see, the, the Pharisees, they're here, they're going, man, you know, give them the list, give them the list. Come on, where's the list? The list of stuff you've got to do, because that's what they do. They take the law and they take it even further than they possibly can. What's their philosophy? What's the philosophy of the Pharisee, the Sadducee, the legalist amongst us? Kick them while they're down. You know, that'll teach them. You know, you really don't, you know, if you just love them, you know, that's like people going, if you forgive them, they'll just do it again. I'm not going to forgive them. That's just license for them. No, we need to, you know, come up with a list here. They, they need to know how bad they messed up. They need to know the damage that they've done. They need to know the shame. They need to know the disappointment that they've caused this family. That's what happens a lot of times. You know, it's what, what is your child going to hear if they leave as a prodigal and they're out there? They call you on the phone and you, you don't know if they're truly repentant or not. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about the Heavenly Father. You know, when that call comes in, you know, it's like I've shared this story before. You know, that here's a, a boy calling home, going, Dad, I want to come home. And he said, Son, you can come home when you clean up your act. That, that's what we say as a legalist. And I get that. I understand it. And, and, and I know some of us are forced into that situation. It's not your heart, but you go, but that's, that's what happens. But here in this story, and again, this is a story about God the Father. This is a story about Jesus' dad. He's not saying, hey, clean up your act and then come home. What he's doing is saying, come home and I will clean up your act. There, there's a difference there. there there's, there's a different heart behind all this. I mean, but both groups, the sinners and the Pharisees are sitting on the edge of their seat because they're wondering, what's Jesus going to say? I mean, is, he gonna, is this now where he's going to give them the pound? Is he going to give them a, a pound of flesh? Or what's, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? How do we make this right? It says, and he arose and he came to his father. They go, okay, here, here's where it's going to get. What would you do, dad? What would you do, mom? I mean, we don't have to look that far back. We all that are fathers and mothers here, we've got kids. What would you do in this moment? What is your heart? And it has to be a heart in advance. It's not a spontaneous, you know, thing that happens here. It's predetermined because it's part of what? The foundation of who we are. God is love is what his word tells us. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it really clear. Love is, and then it goes through a list of all the things that love is. And so they're, they're watching, the Pharisees, they're going, come on, come on, give him the list, give him the list, pound him into the ground, show him just how bad he is, how shameful, what he's done to us, you know, shame on him. 
And that's what would happen in Eastern culture. If you came home as a prodigal man, the city would get to you long before your family ever would. And they would shame you, and they would shame you. And then finally, you know, if your parents, you know, said, okay, they've had enough, then they get to come out and they go, you know, give you the list of what's it going to take to make things right here. And yet it says this, and Jesus is going, this is my dad. Jesus came to re- reveal the father to us. He says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion. He ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. It says, so he arose and came to his father. What's he, what's he expect? What would you expect in a moment like this? I would expect, you know, scorn. I would expect a rebuke, right? You know, what is that? You know, I told you so. You ever get one of those 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 lectures in your life? I told you so. Condemnation? Does he deserve it? You go, absolutely. Absolutely. Righteous anger, tough love, call it whatever you want. Yes, he deserves it. We all get that. But here, what Jesus wants is to understand the heart of the Father towards his son, towards you and I as sons. The son was a great way off, and the Father saw him, and he had compassion. What do we learn about the heart of the Father? He saw him. He saw him. What does that say about the, the father here? You know, what was he doing while the son was gone? Did he say, "Up, oh, you know what? Out of sight, out of mind. No. The father never quit hoping against hope that his son would come home. I think that becomes really clear in this. Is that my heart? Is that your heart? You know, when our kids are estranged from us, when they're living as prodigals out in the world, have we tried to protect ourselves? And so we just go, you know what? I I just can't go there. Or do I go, God, give me your love for my children. That same love. Because of all the things that, you know, I would think today that in the world in which we live, the number one thing that your kids need more than anything else is forgiveness. True forgiveness. Because that is why God sent his son. That would be the number one need. In his love, yeah, he's love. And we go, oh, but they need love. You go, no, what they need more than anything is forgiveness because that gives birth then to everything else that will take place. The father was on the lookout for his son. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, he walked and he prayed. He walked and he prayed. He walked the perimeter, you know, of his property. And he's wishing that his son would come home. I don't think that's, you know, uh, embellishing the thought at all. The second thing we see that he had compassion he felt the pain in his own heart. That's what it's saying. To have compassion is to feel the pain. Do you, do you feel that pain? Do you feel that same pain in your heart? It says a lot about what the father, what he thought about with regard to his sinful son. He obviously didn't mull over day in and day out. You know, my son did this, my son did this. When he had conversations with other people, oh, the loser's doing this. Yeah, the loser's doing that. Because why? Because in Eastern culture, what did that do? That was the way you protected yourself, right? Because he brought shame. Remember, you know, for a man, it's pride. This son of mine is bringing shame upon our home. And so, you know what? I'm going to distance myself from him. Everything that I can do, that I can say about him, that, you know, will, will prove that, you know, I'm better than him. And he, you know, is such a disappointment to our family. But what do you see in the heart of this father here? What is Jesus saying? This is the heart of my dad. And it's important for every single one of us who's ever been or felt like a prodigal because of your sin. It says he ran. This is what the father did. He ran. It says, and he fell in his neck and he kissed him. Jewish men didn't run. 
They invented the moonwalk, I want you to know. You know, Michael Jackson did not invent the moonwalk. Jewish men did because they were too proud. They wouldn't run, so they, you know, they would shuffle their feet. You know, because one of the things, they, they, they wore a garment that went all the way to the ground, right? They, they didn't, if, it was a shameful thing for them to raise it so that you would even see their legs. But if you took off in a full sprint, you know, obviously they didn't wear underwear, and so there was a good chance that you would expose yourself. So here's a father that again, is not consumed with himself. What are people going to think about me? Most of the time in any situation, you know, we think about ourselves first. It's all, you know, he did this to me. She did this to me. It's me, 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 me. And we all have eye problems. But look at this. He exposes himself. He runs. It demonstrates he's not proud. He runs for his son's sake. And where does he run? He has to run through town. He sees his son coming. This wasn't like a big town. If you want to, you kind of look at, remember Little House on the Prairie, that would probably be a better idea. You know, the rifleman, you know, something, Bonanza. I don't know, when you go to town, there's just not that much. And they're running, he's running through the city here. And what is it communicating as he's running? There's a message that is being communicated. A picture's worth a thousand words. What it's demonstrating is a heart of reconciliation. That more than anything else, he wants to find his son. He wants to be connected back to his son. Covering in Jewish culture is where honor is. Uncovering is dishonor. We see in this this story here, the father, he's a seeker. He's the one who comes down and he takes the scorn, you can say, and he puts the shame upon himself. The father gets to the son, to the sinner, before the sinner or the son can get to him. I love that in this story when you think about that. When he got there, what did he do? Did he stop and go, what do you have to say for yourself? No, he hit him full speed. It says, and he fell on him and he kissed his neck. Now, I thought about that because, you know, being almost 60, you know, if I was running across town to embrace my son, I'd fall on his neck too. And I'd be going, <laughs> you know, he probably, you know, he's, 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 and then there's something beautiful in that picture because it demonstrates what he's willing to do. It's willing, the pain that he's willing to put himself through for his son's sake. So he's hanging on his neck, it says, and he's kissing him. In the Greek language, to kiss, it means that he's doing it again and again. You've seen in Eastern culture where the where a father would kiss his son or a child, he's going, <laughs> and he's just kissing him all over. I mean, it, anything. I mean, he's just making him a slobber monster. You know, just it, there's no stopping. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And people are seeing it. They go, wait, this is the heart of a father who has a son who's lived in rebellion towards him, who's brought shame upon the family. And the father runs to him. He embraces him and he kisses him and he kisses him and he kisses him. And this is the whole time. The son has, remember, he's, he has practiced his confession, right? He can't get his confession out. There is no verbal confession in that regard. And that's important that you understand that God knows the heart. The father knows the heart. He knows when that son, he's broken. What he wants more than anything else isn't a, I need an explanation. No, what he wants is reconciliation. He's like, son, I'm just glad, I'm just glad that you're home. I'm just glad that you're here. Kissing him so much that the son can't even talk. He can't even get the confession out. Can you remember the last time that you looked at God, the Father, this way? The God who came down, the God who humbled himself, 
The God who even wouldn't let you get out your confession. I mean, you know, he, the son's trying to get up. Dad, I just want to make it right. I, I'm not worthy to be your son. I just want to be a, and he can't even get the words out. Because you can't undo what you do, dude. That's why it's important. I know that's not proper English, but, you know, forgive me and pray for my soul. <laughs> Only the father's love and acceptance and forgiveness working here can repair the damage. Only the father. This is one-way love. That, you understand that grace is what? One-way love. It's not reciprocating here. It's one-way love. That's what grace is. And, and the father is showing it to the son. The son can't make this right. And he says, and the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He can't even get the phrase out, slave. And if you read what he said previously when he was rehearsing it, you know, just make me one of your slaves, Right? He can't even get that out, which is great. Because why? <laughs> he doesn't have to ask to be a slave because he knows that he's a son. He knows that the father loves him. It's so evident and so clear in their relationship. The father knew that he was repentant. It says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Man, if we only understood God's heart for saving people. The father says to his servants, bring out the best robe, wash him and cleanse him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on a feet, you know, was really represented full house privileges. When they saw those sandals on his feet, I mean, he, had, he was a son. He was to be treated differently. You know, he had, you know, it's like uh, staying in a really, really nice hotel that has on certain floor and above, you have to have a certain key, the, you know, gold key to get from, because you have to actually turn the elevator. You ever been to a, a, a hotel like that where it'll stop and then you have to put a key in to go to the upper levels? I've never been there. I just watched a guy do it one time. I actually was going to ask him if I could go with him because I just wanted to see that I didn't want to start something that I couldn't finish. So I just, uh, I passed on that. But here the, they're looking at him and they're looking and they're going, this, this is a son with full access. And the greatest part is there is now a party that's going on in heaven. The Bible says over one sinner who repents. It says, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. So they have an all-city barbecue that's taking place. And again, what you need to understand here, this isn't a barbecue for the son. This is a barbecue for the father. He says, for this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Really, this party, you know, I guess it's one sinner who repents. There, there is a, a, a side of it that, yes, it's about the son. But really, the party is for the father. It's the father celebrating the fact that his son has repented, that his son has come home. This son who was dead is now alive. And then the, the, the Pharisees at this point, this is where they just blow a gasket. I mean, they're looking at this. I, I had to laugh when I thought about this because it reminded me of Lonnie Gonzalez. And the reason it reminded me of Lonnie Gonzalez because the Pharisees are thinking, you know, you didn't even eat dinner and you got dessert. Because Lonnie, if you know Lonnie, Lonnie eats dessert first and then he eats his dinner after that. And that's how the Pharisees are looking. They go, he didn't even finish his dinner. He gets dessert, you know. And that's the legalist. They just, it's just something, they become incensed. But for this prodigal, all he wanted to do is get home. 
He wants to get home to his father. And I hope as you look at this today, here's Jesus is the one telling the story. We won't go into this part of it, you know, the older brother and what our attitude is. I just want to leave you with this thought. You know, I don't know, like I said, what kind of relationship you had with your earthly father, but I know the kind of relationship that you can enjoy with your heavenly father. He said, all who come to him in no wise would he cast them out. Like I said, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they heard this message and, and they, they were just becoming infuriated. Sinners were hearing this message and it made sense then why each time you read it, it says, and Jesus was there and it says, and the sinners gathered together with him. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. It wasn't to draw lines to go, hey, this is how it is. And if you don't want to live like this, then, you know, you go over there. Jesus was always desirous to build a bridge. You know, I, I read a quote the other day and I posted on my uh, Instagram feed. Uh, it said, you know, Jesus built a bridge from, from heaven to earth with just two pieces of wood. I'd never heard that before. I thought, man, that is so so powerful when you think about it, the cross. And that's what he did. He gave his life. He bore the shame. He ran through the city, so to speak. He raised his garments. You know, he did everything that would bring dishonor upon himself in that regard. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Amen. To make it so we have something to celebrate on Father's Day. And it's not that we're something, you know, on this Father's Day, we celebrate that he's something. That's the beauty of Father's Day. We have a father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's to give him his honor and his due today. If you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father, he's inviting you into that today. Or maybe you have had a relationship with him and you have, your sin has separated you from God. And God's invitation is come home. It's not clean up your act and then come home. It's come home and I'll clean up your act. And as I read this, you know, I'm convicted because there, there's a lot of Pharisee in me. There's things that I'd go, hey, if you want to live in my house, this is the rules that you will live by. And, and I believe that, you know, in the balance of scripture, there's, there's that truth. But in this story, what Jesus wants to come through is to a group of people that, you know, no man has seen the Father at any time, but Jesus revealed the Father to us, that we would know the heart of our Father. He's not against us, church. He's for us. And if God be for us, then what? Then who can be against you? Yeah. You can have the best Father's Day ever today, whether you're a father or not, by simply turning to your Heavenly Father and appreciating Him and thanking Him and praising Him that there's always a place that you can call home Jesus promised it in John 14. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you to be home. I don't know about you, but that's wonderful, wonderful words in my ears today. To know that there's always a place that we can call home. Safe at home, safe in the father's love. Amen. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we, all of us, could be called the sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for this text this morning. I, I know, Lord, it's ministered to me mightily throughout this week, and just being reminded, Lord, of your great love for us. 
that Lord, what you went through and what you allowed yourself to be put through to reconcile me, us, the world to yourself. Lord, may we appreciate that today. And if there's any here that Lord have yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, God, I pray that what a wonderful Father's Day gift to give you, to give our hearts to you. And I pray that Lord, they would do that by confessing Lord, their own sin to you and running to you, knowing that Lord, you're running to them. You already did it. That's why you came and lived and died and rose again so that our sins could be forgiven, that our names could be written in the Lamb's book of life, that there'd be a place very secure in heaven for us one day. So Lord, don't let us leave this place without making peace with you, experiencing your peace in our life. And again, for every father here, Lord, may you work in us, Lord, to have a heart like you for our own children, for other people's children, for every person, Lord, on this planet. The love of God working in us, Lord. Happy Father's Day to you, our Heavenly Father. We love you. We bless you. We praise you today as we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying amen.